Hello everyone, I'm John Hudson and welcome back to the Spitfire podcast in partnership with IWC Schaffhausen. In today's episode we'll be talking with Dr David Seifer, IWC's museum curator. IWC is steeped in aviation history, designing some of the original pilot watches. David himself is a hugely passionate individual and knowledgeable in various items of historical value and together we'll be looking closely at the art, craft and attention to design that went into creating the iconic Spitfire. Hi David, thanks very much for joining me today. Could you start by telling me and the listeners a little bit more about yourself, please? Thank you, John. I'm happy to be here. Um, yeah, some words about me. I'm David Seiver. I'm working for IWC now since I think it's 12 years. I started in 2007. Okay. And I'm in a lucky position that I am take care of the history of IWC. That means taking care of the museum but also of the corporate um, archives. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine this is quite interesting yeah. if you are dealing with a brand that it's yeah, more than 150 years old. So oh, wow. always there are some interesting things to discover, but yeah. also you meet very interesting people from all over the world. You know. So when did you personally, um, do you remember when you first became aware of the Spitfire as a design classic? The aircraft itself. <laughs> as a design classic, not. Uh, I mean, as, as many kids of our generation, um, I love this, you know, this this kind of uh, uh, matchbox uh, yes. scale models. And, yes, yes. And, and then you can select, you have the Spitfire, maybe the Hurricane, yeah. and also elder airplanes mm-hmm. and it was wow cool to assemble them you know and painting them was ooh, was in horror <laughs> uh, but anyway and so you learned about what is a spitfire and then maybe you in, in those days there was not the internet so you go to a library yeah. and um, get a book and then wow it was so important then you learn about the story you know how this plane defended the freedom yeah. of, of, of England I mean and and uh, make uh, at the end uh, the democracy winning and and, and then you see, wow, this is this is this is another dimension. Yeah, it is, uh, isn't it? Because it's a, a beautiful looking object, but it had a purpose. Exactly. Yeah. And what's the social background? Yes, well, I would call it. And um, yeah, and then then you learn more and more and more. And I would say then, if you like technology, if you like planes, mm-hmm. and I would consider myself as a plane nerd, <laughs> um, then yeah. All of your life, you remember, for example, these classical planes. And yeah, um, if it is, for example, one of these air shows when the vintage planes circling around, yeah. and then if you are in a lucky situation that maybe f- um, a Spitfire is uh, crawling uh, in the skies, yeah, and then you say, "Wow, cool!" Yeah, it's very, it's very evocative, isn't it? Still, especially when it banks, and you see that, like you say, the elliptical shape of the wing. Absolutely, unmistakable. Uh, unmistakable, and 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 yeah, and I think this is why this airplane has got the fascination. It's not because it was, you know, part of a war or something. It is really because it's a design classic. And, yes. and, and, then, and if you then think about the whole story of life um, of, of, of Mitchell, you know, yeah, because he passed yeah. Yeah, uh, sadly uh, shot after away um, because of cancer. And mm. yeah, that, that's, it's, it's a kind of really, really thrilling thing. I would call myself a nerd. And the status <laughs> when my father took me to the, uh, to the, to the, to the, um, um, airports, you know, uh-huh. and then we were looking at, at airplanes, yeah. and um, yeah, I, yeah, I remember this. It was in the in the late seventies, early eighties, you know, when yeah. the sound, for example, of this uh, turbo engine was incredible loud, <laughs> and you know, when then some of these planes were coming, uh, uh, a BAC eleven, you know, famous. Yeah, yeah. This was 
uh, Rolls-Royce Conway engines. Really loud, really loud. And this, yeah, started my my, my fascination for aviation. And um, yeah, I always kept this. Uh, I think, yeah, this is, it's the technical aspect, but yep. also the freedom, I guess. You can't oh, most probably go wherever you want. So um, even though with the regulation in airspace, or you know, um, yeah. it isn't impo it is isn't impossible today. But um, just to dream about going to the p a cockpit and then up and away mm -hmm. and disappear in the blue skies. I think this is this is yeah kind of um, generic uh, human mankind dream. Yeah, uh, and it's, so, it's like you said earlier. It's like true freedom, isn't it? Uh, yeah, being able to do that. I was wondering if there's any parallels with the change um, from the early biplanes to the Spitfire, if there's any parallel with your world when pilots started to wear watches, if that increased amount of G-force that someone would experience affected the way that something had to be designed that you'd wear to keep time, because surely a mechanism is affected by the, the G-force of an aircraft. Yeah, um, absolutely, absolutely. Um, um, G-forces, if... I mean, the most, uh, let's say, famous example of G-forces having uh, influence on the movement is maybe the tourbillon, you know, the, the wild wind, uh, wind uh, to call it. Um, this no, I don't know that. What's that? Uh, the invention by Mr. Brücke in the 18th century. Um, you know, you have the escapement, you have the um, balance wheel saying all the important parts for the precise march of the watch. And in those days, people had pocket watches. Yes. So always the watch was in the same position. Uh, and then you have the G-forces, you yes, know, yes, and yeah. this could have um, some hmm, uh, interferences of the correct uh, march of the watch. So what they did was really find a mechanism that the whole escapement and balance wheel was turning, for okay. example, one round in one minute. Highly sophisticated, very, 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 very hard to manufacture the parts, but also to assemble. And um, as I said, this was um, to to uh, because uh, of the G forces. And um, yeah, making this happen, for example, at IWC, we did our own construction, um, and this is kind of the crown or, uh, of watchmaking. So uh -huh. here you can see G forces have influence. When it comes to pilots' watches, yeah. um, it, this was not that kind of issue. So um, no. they had that difference. For example, in, in the old biplanes, uh, biplanes that you see, of course, if you were a pilot, uh, you know, flying around 1910 in your old uh, vintage uh, um, 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 biplane, you know, you can have um, visual uh, flight, uh, so you see exactly where you're going, and yeah. if there are cloudy skies, you won't even start. So right. no need for, uh, let's say, a watch to um, navigate or to calculate um, the fuel consumption. But when aviation become more, let's say, professional, yes, larger, larger technical, maybe more technical. Yeah. So in the 1920s, you know, when all these famous airlines were founded, and um, also private piloting be became more popular, there was then a demand because then, for example, people needed, um, on the one hand, a timekeeper, just in the sense a timekeeper in the cockpit. Or then the timekeeper for the purpose of navigation, or let's what's very important as said, uh, fuel consumption and things like yeah. that. And so 
the suppliers for that, the watchmaking companies, they really had to take care to make high precise uh, right. movements. And then what was also very different, uh, interesting, so there was the separation. You have dashboard clocks, yes. you know, in the cockpit. Uh -huh, you uh -huh. better know because... Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then wristwatches. Right. And so, but both had to be very, very uh, excited. And then it became uh, more and more specialized. And in this kind of period, like 1930s, IWC launched a special watch for pilots. If you ask for really dedicated specifications, I mean, the best example is the so-called um, navigational wristwatch Mark 11 3B-645. Wow, you are a proper historian, David. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> no, no, I, this is... <laughs> thank you for the compliment, but this is why uh, I have... Um, um, I really like this watch and this this name, um, the long name is really due to the military specification, uh, but it's interesting. Yep. This is a specification from the mid of the 1940s by the Royal Air Force. Oh, uh, really? Wow. And IWC made due to the specifications, the mm -hmm. so-called Mark 11 okay. navigational wristwatch. Right, right. And this is exactly what you what you were saying. Yeah. The RF asked um, the supplier, IWSC, to take care, for example, for um, water tightness, um, preciseness, yeah, of course, mm -hmm. um, protection against the magnetic field, because oh, yeah, you yeah. may know um, in the in the, late, uh, in the mid of the 1940s, the first radars were in, 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 in installed in, yeah. in cockpits and they provoked a huge magnetic field. So this was very, very mandatory. Um, legibility, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially at night, I guess, too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And if you do astro navigation, yeah. remember you are flying with, let's say, 500, 600 miles in the sky. Yeah. Um, the, the, the plane is uh, bumping and shaking and mm -hmm. then you, you aim for a star mm -hmm. and you have to calculate the angle and then have a quick look, look at the watch. What time is it? Right. Legibility is really mandatory. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. But this is interesting because here with this watch, as I said, um, we met the expectations and so this watch became um, or had a 40 years life yeah. at the Royal Air Force um, for navigators for the BOAC also they uh, used really? it also NVC 10s and, yeah, yeah. and comets and all the famous planes and this is really maybe one of the best examples we have specifications what does a pilot's watch or dash in this case a navigational yep. wristwatch needs and so the brand, the, the watchmaking companies make this happen. So with something that's been around for so long, you, you must be dependent on sources other than the internet. Because when I look up anything these days, I go straight to the internet mm. and I, I see what I can find on there. How do you find out stuff from the brand's history? Were there records? Is there like a, a room full of stuff that tells you what you need to know? Or do you have to look for wide and varied sources? Absolutely. I mean, um, you mentioned the internet, of mm. course. Um, this is today. Oh, a lot of people are searching and it's very, very convenient, very, very easy. Um, but if you do this job, for example, um, in a corporate archive, like we have at IWC, um, there we have all the paperwork, all mm. the records. For example, we have the first drawing of our founder, Florentine Ariesto Jones. He signed a drawing of a lathe um, in the year 1871 or something 
And also we have, for example, um, official business letters from later owners of IWC from the 19th century. And then you have to go really dig into the paperwork. Right. So you have to read uh, the original handwritings, oh, sometimes wow. translated because um, these guys used to write in a very, very bad way. And, um, of course, we have letters of old watches since 1885. And from an um, archive perspective, um, we are quite well for, um, I would say, a company in the watchmaking industry. So we have documentation of, we say, 40 meters of records, as they call it. And, and yeah, it's, it's quite good. So if you want to look into some details, you can easily find records, yeah. sources um, in the archives, and then find probably the answer that you are looking for. How interesting. So if I was to look along that timeline, and you said it goes back to 1885, is that right? Roundabout? Um, with the um, records of the movements and watch cases, yes. So uh, when, when in that timeline, David, do you first start to notice references about aviation specifically? When, when does the, the wristwatch and aviation start to, to come together? Um, this is what we can um, trace exactly. This was in the year 1936. Oh, okay. So um, the reference was called, let me think, 436. It was the right. special watch for pilots. And um, IWC was bringing these watches to the market in 1936. And... Um, the interesting story, which we know how the IWC pilot switch was born. This is, for example, um, another interesting thing, yeah. uh, what we call the oral history. So you go to okay. people who maybe know a little bit and then you make interviews. Yeah. And for the we were in a lucky situation that um, the family of the owners, the family Homburger, uh, still are in Schaffhausen. And they have some old records of their family uh, members. And, for example, the original um, flight book, of Mr. Hans Ernst Homburger, who right. learned flying actually here in London yeah. in the year 1933. Quite amazing story. You know, um, it was Croydon Airport, uh, okay. uh, who was the leading airport yeah. for Imperial Airways, you know, in, back in those days. And if the people wanted to fly around the British Empire, they yeah. started in Groydon. And so Mr. Homburger, designated son and uh, designated uh, later CEO of IWC, he was doing here uh, a, a, train, a training trip in a Swiss bank. And yeah, in his, in his free time, he was learning flying at a Surrey Air Club. Yeah. And we have his records. He made his original uh, British uh, private pilot license on December 6, 1933. Wow. Easy to remember you're date. Gonna, you're uh, very good at this. <laughs> and um, no, and and we are quite confident that he convinced then coming back to Schaffhausen, yeah. his father, yeah, let's have pilots watches oh, um, wow. because this was completely untypical for IWC. So the pilots watch from 1936 was really the first. Yeah, um, I would call it sportive watch right. in the portfolio before you have more like golden watches um, things like uh, pocket watches yeah. very classical design but now with this watch that was dedicated for pilots yeah. private pilots um, this was completely new and so there must be someone maybe it was Hans Ernst Homburger or his younger brother Rudolf Homburger who in, also in those days learned flying and became yeah. later very famous in Switzerland because he was a fighter pilot uh, when Switzerland was defending against uh, German air raids and he was shot down in 1940 and Hardly survived. Um, he I get some twenty hits, you know, from uh, from the enemy aircraft. But he managed to survive, and he was the really passionate pilot in the in the family uh, oh, of wow. Homburger. But yeah, 
um, if it was both of them, so they they convinced the father. And this is the beginning of the tradition of the IWC Pilots Watch. That's fascinating, mate. So we're going to, hopefully I'm going to be able to pick your brains in real detail about that that type of design. But the thing you mentioned a moment ago, really, um, I, I thought was, well, it's not coincidence, I guess. It's that that time in the in the last century. But 1936 was also when R.J. Mitchell's Spitfire first took to the air, wasn't it? Absolutely, an absolutely great coincidence. And, um, you know, if you think about Mitchell and mm. his commitment to planes, you know, um, if you look, for example, the planes uh, winning the Snyder Trophy, which oh, is yeah, quite yeah. important in those yeah. days because all the countries were fighting against who has got the fastest airplane. And the way Mitchell designed the planes, starting mm. from the first seaplanes he made, this is, for me, these are race cars. Yes. Of course, they are meant for racing. Yes. And but he managed to combine really the design. If you if you look at the wings and mm. the aeron, you know, the fuselage. Yep. Everything this has also got an aesthetic. Uh, yes. It's it's of course um it's related to aerodynamics, which became very, very important and popular mm-hmm. in the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties. Um but also you like this. This is, I would call it um, like Bauhaus, you know, right, pureistic okay, yeah. style. Really modernist stuff. Modernist stuff. And if you look then at the Spitfire, um, yeah. when the prototype uh, um, was flying and uh, first time 1936, for me, this is no military aircraft. This is also kind of a, a, a race car in the air, mm-hmm. you know, with these aesthetic aspects, you know, of the, of the wings, uh, most uh, famous. Yeah, and so um, Mitchell maybe is also a guy who design maybe follows function or function follows design or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's very important that he combined these two things. And then so we've got the the watch design, um, perhaps given by the Royal Air Force that says it must do... uh, I imagine there's a huge checklist of of things it must be able to achieve this this, uh, pilot's watch. And then we look at RJ Mitchell's design for the Spitfire and the things that that was supposed to be able to achieve. How much scope is there in in modern design, do you think, to increase or or add those elements that are purely aesthetic that also enhance performance? Is that still something that's possible or are we now down to just cramming technology into things? What do you think? When it comes to watch and watches, I think it's really, really um, um, challenging yeah. because uh, per se, uh, a watch is defined. It's round most right. of the time right. and it uh, has uh, yeah, fingers, hands, and it should yeah. tell you the time. So as a designer, you are a little bit limited. So it's really, really the challenge, like you said, um, what we want to achieve. Is it like a completely new design? Do we want to stay true to um, our heritage, but not copying it and make something new, like melting all traditions together, mm-hmm. but not l- make it looking like eclectic or something? So for the designer, this is this is this is really the challenge and. As you can see, for example, if you look at the so-called Spitfire Pilots Watch family of IWC that we launched in uh, 2019, um, if you look back first, it was launched 2000 as a limited edition. 2003, okay. it became a family, a subfamily of our Pilots Watches with a clearly design structure which was related to the Spitfire plane, you know, yeah, yeah. silver dials, and it looks a little bit, as you can see, the rivets like on the plane. And now it's completely... Uh, well, not completely, but it's different. Now it looks more like the um, the Mark 11 pilots, which we talked about. Uh, okay. So um, he, the design always tries to do something new, but yep. of course, um, make it in the in in the scope uh, what we did before. And so I have a huge respect because um, finding here the perfect way, you know, and make something new. Yeah. 
um, this is, yeah, it's not easy. Most of all, when it becomes to a watch. Yeah, and, and you mentioned a few things that have gone into that melting pot to come up with a new design. Do you think that people, when they they have a, a design brief like a Spitfire series of watches, do they go back to the aircraft or they go back to the pilot's watches or is it kind of a mix of both of those elements? Both both elements. So, for example, um, um, Christian Knoop, our uh, design director, he's the guy who's really, really looking in all directions. Okay. I'm, I'm very proud that he also asked the, my teammates and, uh, and me... Um, uh, can can we have a touch and feel session like feeling the design you know okay. in three dimensions not only looking at pictures but there are a lot of uh, factors sometimes more the heritage sometimes more the new design maybe sometimes more it's the technical approach when you have a new movement or you have some new complications you know then it's 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 time to think where we um where we underline and, um, the, the the things that we want to do There's a, 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 paint, a painting I was looking at earlier uh, yesterday of two of Mitchell's designs, and it's very hard to escape the difference between some of his earlier work and his, his work on the Spitfire because there was the... Do you, do you know the seaplane, the walrus, mm-hmm. that was used for air sea rescue? So there's a brilliant painting um, in London of a walrus aircraft rescuing a, an aviator who's down in the channel with the Spitfire circling in the background as protection. And although they came off the same drawing board within a few years of each other, they are like era different, aren't they? You know, you've got something which is a biplane float plane and then something so sleek and, uh, and aerodynamic as the Spitfire. It's almost like they came from different eras completely rather than one person's hands. What's, yeah. what, would, are you uh, a bit of an RJ Mitchell fan yourself? Is it... Um... Fan, I wouldn't say, but mm. I pay highly respect. I yeah. pay really highly respect, but because of what I was saying before, you know, um, that uh, that it's not only you know making an airplane because it should fly and should be fast, because yes, the aesthetics are very very important. And you yeah. know, um, if you look for example in the history of British aviation, um, look at for example the civil airplanes like a VC10, yeah. very famous in the sixties. Yeah, the design. This is beautiful. If you look at you know flying in the sky with yeah. the with the with the four uh, um, uh, engines in the back you know and the fuselage and and for example shadowing in the sky this is this is great and so maybe this is maybe it's typical British to say um, if we make something um, technical but it it has at the end to be looking beautiful yeah and it's interesting you mentioned the VC10 a friend of mine was crew on VC10 for a long time and. The story that he told me, and apologies, Alf, but he said that it was designed, the VC-10, by a firm that made submarines. And how how that kind of can come about, I think probably only in Britain where you get somebody who's looking at something from a completely different angle and comes up with fairly innovative solutions. Because as you said, the, the S-6B that won the Schneider Trophy was completely different from what... Um, what Mitchell had been making earlier, you know, the biplanes and the and the, the float planes and this seaplane with its two floats and its low wing. And I think he described it as a flying radiator. So he's trying to incorporate technology into every surface just to ease, squeeze every mile per hour he can out of the, the airframe. And from the little I've read about the design of the Spitfire, that was the same problem he had there. It's trying to make it go a little bit faster, a little bit faster each time, every little tweak. And do you, do you find that work uh, cuts across into the things you've looked at in your historical work with the watches. Is there always a little a little advancement each time, or do you get like epoch changing things like a Spitfire come along? 
Um, generally speaking, uh, watchmaking is very traditional, right. um, and and this is why, for example, we as a company or other companies uh, who are in the so-called haute horlogerie, um, high watchmaking art, we are making watches since two or three hundred years ago. Right, it's mechanical watches. Um, but there's one point um, that came in my mind when you were saying or referring to Mitchell. There's one um, important person in the history of IWC, uh, Mr. Jean-Claude Peloton, who was inventing. Uh, not only um, his peloton self-winding mechanism, but uh, other in, in innovations. And he was the watchmaker, um, the guy who knows how to organize manufacturing, right. um, but also businessman. So a really multi-talent. And this is maybe the same like Mitchell. Mm, Mitchell was mm. the one who said, hey, if you fly, you have to fly with, you have to feel it. Mm, huh? mm. You have to see it in there because I remember there's, there's some kind of a story that um, he was discussing with a Royal Air Force uh, officer um, who was complaining something about his airplane and he said, hey, sit in there, fly and feel the plane and then we can talk or something okay, like that. Yeah, yeah. And um, Jean-Claude Peloton from IWC was the same when he was designing, you know, this uh, famous self-winding mechanism. He was always trying, um, asking for feedback from, from, from watchmakers Mm. Um, in the manufacturing and um, in this or by doing this he was able to make a really really strikeful mechanism mm -hmm. that by the way we keep till today oh, so really? it's so breakthrough or, or was so breaking through in, 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 in the 1950s mm. that we keep it like it. the only thing that we changed is for example that we have uh, since 2013 I guess um, parts of ceramics made in this um, uh, self money mechanism um, but from the idea from the construction it's the same and, yeah. and um, if you compare the mind setting um, yes, uh, Jean-Claude Peloton, uh, no, excuse me, Albert Peloton uh, would be the same um, like an, an Mr. Mitchell. Hi, I'm Justin Hast, writer and photographer. If you're enjoying the Spitfire podcast, why not take a look at my video series, Time Flies, where IWC museum curator Dr. David Seifer and I compare and contrast pilot's watches, old and new, carefully detailing what makes each model unique. You can find the series on IWC Watch's YouTube channel or search hashtag IWC Heritage. Win the day, folks. So I was lucky enough yesterday to be talking to uh, an old veteran about aircraft. And it, what you said then, the emotional aspect of it tied in because he'd flown all kinds of different types of aircraft in the Royal Air Force, like Hurricane Spitfires, Mosquitoes and American Thunderbolts. And when I asked him about the Spitfire specifically, because I knew I was going to chat to you today, his eyes lit up. And he, he had a kind of a, an emotional response to that particular name and that aircraft. And the way he described it was the others you kind of sat in an office and the, the, the um, instrument panel's massive and you kind of hauled the aircraft around using brute force. But with the Spitfire, when he described it, and he's 96 years old, this guy, he just put his two fingers out and said you could fly it with your fingertips. And now I was interested when you mentioned who gave the design input for the watches, whether there's a, if there's ever a kind of a, that lightness of touch or that kind of um, trying to make everything really slim and streamlined and looking at the instrumentation almost of it in a kind of a clear, crisp way that doesn't take too much effort to interpret, to make it cleaner. Is that kind of, do you get um, input from aviators when you're doing these sorts of design tasks? Is that something that happens? Um, among our collectors are, are pilots, true pilots. Mm -hmm. that's, that, that's maybe very important to mention. And yeah. so they are very, uh, surely very critical because uh, yeah, from their job, they know what a pilot is needing. I mean, today, 
the world of aviation is completely different. You know, yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, you have uh, it's all digital and uh, free redundant systems, iPads. and, and <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, um, at the end of the day, the computer flies the plane. Uh, right. But what you described in the, back in those days, this mechanical feel. I mean, mm. um, I would say in those days, surely the pilot have influence, because. Um, yeah, one example is also how, for example, IWC uh, marketed uh, the first special watch for pilots. So they, 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 in bullet points, they said it's very convenient for private pilots because it has got a shatterproof uh, crystal. It is, uh, oh, it has a movement with uh, anti-magnetic parts. Um, it's, um, or if there are temperature um, changes, doesn't matter. Right. Watch, still works. Still works. Yes, yep. precisely. And you see, so um, all these points that are very important for private pilots, mm -hmm. they want to meet. So this is the kind of interaction you you maybe you were referring. Um, so we want to make it as the best watch for the pilot. And today, um, we are the ones saying that keep like piloting like it was in the past. So, um, yes, of course. I mean, if you now fly, fly a Spitfire, you take a IWC watch from, from today, yep. and it's the same world. If you fly an Airbus uh, A320 <laughs> or the new um, Airbus A2020, you know, fully compu computerized, um, this is difficult. So you have your mechanical watch that brings you in the world of the 1930s, yes. you know, yeah, but yeah. Uh, the plane, it's like a, a video game, a computer game, you see, <laughs> and um, if computer says no, then it's no, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so we are really, maybe the watch is then the only um, bridge to the tradition of classical in aviation from my perspective. Yeah. So in the 30s, the watches were groundbreaking and it was like the, the frontier of aviation and now people have got a bit of heritage, aviation heritage. Yeah, maybe this is yeah. Maybe this is also um the, um, the that many people like these vintage planes, you know, yeah. and and then go to uh, if there's an air tattoo or something and see these old planes because this is true. This is how it began, mm. and then I mean. Um, what we do now with our silver Spitfire, the longest flight. Yeah. Imagine, I mean, um, this plane is from 1943 yep. and got some air battles uh, with, with the German Air Force, you know. Um, I think this particular air, uh, aircraft was battling um, the, the Mi-262, you know, oh, in, wow. a, in, a, in an air fight. And now restoring this particular plane mm -hmm. and fly 43,000 kilometers and this, this, is, this is amazing. But yeah. it is um, like with a vintage watch. You can restore it, you can bring it to life again, yeah. Uh, um, and and this is this is yeah this is the tradition, and and maybe this the difference to the world of our let's say um, digital world of today. Yeah, true. And the the interesting point I think as well for me personally is that the Spitfire as a an iconic design, as a classic design, a kind of a the pinnacle of what could be achieved with the technology of the time. It, it's it's not just the fact that the nuts and bolts are function very well it's the fact that it looks so cool as well when you when you look at when it's sleek not maybe so much on the ground but certainly when it when it's in the air are you are you aware of any other um design fields that that part of aviation the spitfire design has, has washed into as well as wrist watches are there any other things that when you look through the history the broad history while you've been doing these projects that you know there's been a kind of a the DNA of the Spitfire has gone anywhere else do you think it's still relevant today that kind of elliptical wing iconic design um, if you study design and if you want to, um, yeah, have new ideas, I would say yes, because, um, 
particularly with the elliptic uh, design, of course, it has an influence from an aerodin aerodynamical point of view. But on the other hand, it looks very beautiful. Mm. So, um, and this is maybe like I, I said before, design follows function, but mm -hmm. maybe also um, um, the function follows a little bit the design too. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and then you have a really interesting approach, and um, this is what you shouldn't forget. And maybe um, if the Spitfire as a plane, like said, it had an influence of a collection of IWC of the Spitfire line um, a couple of years. But maybe um, in another way, um, or the same story is when you only design movements or cases for watches, yeah. only due to specifications and you let, uh, you only just do what, for example, the CAD system is telling you. So the computer is saying, wow, this is the best um, way of uh, um, having forces inside the movement, um, the best way that the uh, wheel train will make his job at, at its best. Okay, maybe it looks weird, but it's right. very, very, very good performing. Okay. So the art now for watch, uh, uh, watch, uh, watchmaker or let's say an engineer of watchmaking, make it very, very smooth running, make it perfect, but do not forget about the design. And then just to go back to something that you mentioned a little while ago, David, the 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 watch for pilots and the Spitfire itself. I'm interested. I'm I'm fascinated to know when RAF pilots and the other members of the, the sort of the the Allied forces who were flying in Spitfires would first have started the pilots' watches that your guys make. Was that something that happened from 1936 onwards, or was it in the 43, 44 year? Um, yeah, um, we do not know if um, the first generation of Spitfires fl have, uh, uh, for example, Mark 11, um, because it was launched in 1904 uh, or delivered to the Royal Air Force in 1949, okay. and um, it was really meant for navigators, yes. and so not for the pilot. Maybe some Spitfire pilots uh, got this watch uh, because of its uh, beautiful design, um, <laughs> but officially this first generation were um, uh, um, navigators wristwatches right um, yeah but I think um, if you if you if you like flying you know and you pilot's know, watch yeah, yeah it, it's a pilot's watch I'm sure there'll be a few right. what were the key things that they incorporated the, the founders into the pilot's design was it you were going to tell me earlier something about the way that it was worn and the, and the way that the, the uh, information was displayed for pilots what kind of innovations were brought in there yeah, um, for the first generation, um, maybe one of the interesting in, in, um, things was, you know, you have a rotating bezel. Right. You know, if you want to do like uh, sh uh, short time stops. Yep. or And of course, um, these black dials with uh, okay. uh, a lot of luminescence uh, uh, mass in those days, radium. Right. Very, very shiny. But this was important. Yes. You know, as we said, I mean, um, you have to see exactly and immediately yeah. what time is it. And um, other features, like I said, then, um, the the um, the soft iron cage was later introduced by, by, uh, by the Mark 11. Right, excellent. Well, David, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting today about all these sorts of innovative design features that were brought in and specifically the way it, it overlaps with the, the Spitfire, the design classic. Um, yeah, thank you very much indeed for chatting with us. Yeah, thinking of you, John. It was a pleasure to talk to you and make it happen again. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's show. And thank you to David for joining me. 
There's no doubt that the Spitfire will always stand as a landmark in British design, not just in the field of aviation. I'm sure that when the Silver Spitfire flies overhead during its expedition, it'll be drawing some looks and turning some heads for those lucky enough to be in the vicinity. Be sure to find out more about the expedition on the IWC website. This is the halfway point of our series, but don't worry, we have some great shows still to come. Next week we'll be looking at what goes into restoring one of these vintage planes, the sweat, tears and a little bit of money. I hope you join me again for that, and until then, goodbye. Goodbye.